Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou Sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the regional sports editor for the Columbia Daily Tribune, Kevin Grayler. How are you, sir? Glad to be here as usual. Let's do it. Yeah. Uh, Kevin, I always ask you this, and I feel like we need to keep with tradition. Anything you want to talk about off the jump here in the podcast? What do you want to start off with? Well, we're seven games into the Mizzou football season. Right. And five and two is the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Probably, if you look at the schedule going in, uh, the, the two losses come against teams that you, you, you probably would, would least figure... Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and there were some impressive wins in between the five game homestand. But uh, honestly, uh, just thinking about uh, this past weekend uh, in Nashville, uh, losing to a team you were favored to beat by three touchdowns, that stings. Uh, so we're, we're going to see how, again, uh, these Tigers respond uh, going into Kentucky uh, Saturday. Um, but it's, just, it's, it's an unusual feeling for a five and two team. You know, you. You take some positives away. That's a winning record. That's that's one victory away from that bowl eligibility threshold. Even though still have the uh, the looming NCAA appeal, uh, but just a very surprising way to get to this point uh, to get to this juncture in the season. Yeah, losses to Wyoming and to Vanderbilt, and wins over South Carolina, West Virginia, and Ole Miss. It was probably would not would have been what a lot of people would have predicted, but that is where we stand. Uh, Mizzou essentially is, from my estimation, three plays away from being seven and zero right now. You change one play in the Wyoming game and two with how the game was designed uh, for uh, Vanderbilt, and you're seven and zero. It just seems like this team is probably a little bit better than five and two, but not quite that the. 7-0 level is kind of where they are right now. I mean, well, we, we, just schedule-wise. We've seen glimpses of greatness. Yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. Look, look back at that South Carolina game. A fantastic performance from top to bottom. But inconsistency. And, and I think that, you know, when, if, if, if you think about being a Coach Barry Odom at this point in time, it's just it's a matter of being able to get up for every game. Um, and, and the penalties against Vanderbilt, 12, that was a season high. Uh, for more than 100 yards, you recall exactly. 120. 120 yards. That that sets you back. Uh, really just getting in their own way at times. Uh, defense, you know, I, really, I, I, we can't put this on them. Uh, to no, you, no, you can't. Analysis. No. I don't think in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I think going forward, it's, it's going to be a matter of seeing how offensive coordinator Derek Dooley and uh, quarterback Kelly Bryan, how, 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 how these guys can really uh, – can really build off what was was a struggle of a game this past time out yeah it was, uh, outside uh, what i said on uh, abc 17 saturday sunday night is, i think really reigns true still to this day is that everyone that was not albert o had their worst game of the season on saturday on the offense the offensive line was in shambles therefore you couldn't establish the run game and they didn't help themselves kelly was just erratic for lack of a better word he couldn't find wide receivers open just could not be his usual self and the wide receivers kind of shot themselves in the foot didn't do themselves any favors now you head to lexington this weekend i'll be on the road in kentucky follow along for updates by eric blum on twitter um and this is quickly a must-win game if they go to five and three going into the bye week with 
their next two games being Georgia and Florida, that's not good. That's not good at all, especially for where expectations lie uh, for this team going into the season. I mean, I said probably whew, probably less than a week ago at this time, Missouri was probably looking to be in 7-1 and one going into the bye week. And now there's a serious conversation to be had. They could be 5-3. and three. And it's just that the range of potential where this team lands on any given Saturday might be as wide as any team I might have covered in a very long time is that you can come and you can just tear away South Carolina and then two weeks later they beat Georgia between the hedges and Athens and then you go to Vanderbilt who hadn't picked up an SEC win and they got blown out by 34 by UNLV and then you lose to them. It's just it's tough to explain. It, it really it's just uh, did, did Mizzou just have that much of a stinker like an all-time stinker against Vanderbilt to the point where it's like you lose to them. Yes, Vanderbilt did well. You can give Vanderbilt all the credit in the world. But even against Vanderbilt's best, Missouri still should have still beaten them, and they didn't. Um, and it sounds kind of, you know, the same when we were talking about Wyoming all those months ago. But Wyoming, the Wyoming loss was you could recover from. Now Missouri's season, because it's a conference game against Vanderbilt, will be talked about unless they win out. They have to win either Georgia or Florida, if not both, to kind of erase this loss. Is It was so good, but... You have to look back at that. That's and that's kind of how I remember last year going. Is that it was always, you know, Mizzou was two plays away, one against Kentucky, one against South Carolina, away from playing in a New Year's Six bowl or a bowl that's right off of that cusp, like a Citrus or an Outback bowl against a prime opponent. Instead, they had to settle. Not that the Liberty Bowl in Memphis is all that bad, although they did up losing that game, kind of with a not a good performance as well. But just how close that team last year was to being ten and two. Now you're kind of looking at five and two this year, and it just it kind of seems like it's a little bit of a similar message, but with an overall similar roster, despite the quarterback change or anybody else coming in and going. So it just seems like it's kind of a a similar message, despite how many strides they made over the past five weeks at home. We saw some really great moments from them, but they really weren't tested that much. Then when they got tested. In Nashville, it didn't go well. Missouri is still yet to lose a second half this year, points wise. But I mean, because they were tied with Nashville, I think it was a fourteen to seven and a half, and then both teams just scored one touchdown in the second half at Vanderbilt. But just not, 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 not a whole lot of positives to say about that trip to Nashville, uh, football wise. Um, yeah, it just w- was not a good performance, and and, and it kind of came out of I don't want to say it came out of nowhere because Mizzou had shown a tiny bit of weaknesses here and there throughout those five weeks. But, I mean, we were talking to Adam Sparks uh, from the from the Tennessean who covers Vanderbilt, and he's like, if they beat Missouri, it's a job saver for Derek Mason. You could tell the emotion out of Mason postgame. Yeah, it was crazy. It's like, it, it's an uh, that was an upset. That was a huge upset. And there have been bigger upsets. Michigan App- Appalachian State comes to mind when I was in high school, but like, in terms of just a momentum killer, that that that's that that's a pretty darn good one for Mizzou. Honestly, just just w- continue to wait and wait and wait on. Okay, fourteen seven at halftime. Mizzou will turn it on third quarter. Third quarter comes and goes. You get into the fourth quarter. All of a sudden, you're down. You know, final five minutes of the game, and and never had built that traction. Um, so we'll we'll see what what Mizzou's able to take away from this. You know, the the, the best way to uh, to at least uh, you know move forward is get out there get a win uh you know i, I think it was uh 
Tristan Colin Castillo, who who uh, very strongly defended Odom uh, when asked about that during media availability this week, saying, "Hey, you know what? If if you if you got to talk about him, you better come to me first. <laughs> uh, the best way that they yeah. can they can kind of do away with with the uh, you know you, you talk about like the outside noise, and so often it's cliche, but I, I think it exists. But uh, you know, the best way for 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 this team. Uh, just to to get over that is is to win and and yeah. to win Saturday at Kentucky would be a solid win uh, and you you can just start to move forward from there and and build with these uh, with these ups and downs. I want you to keep in mind that Tr- Tristan, I think he's twenty two. He might be twenty one, twenty one two. But Kevin didn't use the verbatim quote there because if he had, we don't. We I'd have to break out the censors. Uh, it was it was something that rhymes. Uh, I'm not going to go there. Um, <laughs> no, but it just it just a very strong reaction. It's, it's actually a word that uh, Twitter didn't censor when I tweeted out in full of what. Tristan Colon Castillo said it wasn't his only uh, thing that would be bleeped on normal TV that he said during that thing, but it was clearly a very impassioned speech from one of the more, I guess, well-said Missouri Tigers that there is on the team. I mean, there's guys who don't mind speaking their mind. He's definitely one of them, um, and very much highly defended Coach Odom. Called, and, and, and the positive, he said he called him a true son, someone who loves Columbia, someone who loves this program. And yes, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a successful football coach. Look at Cliff Kingsbury in Texas Tech was just as much of a revered figure as Barry Odom is here in Lubbock, and he got fired without a problem after not making a bowl. And things here are not quite as bad as they were in Lubbock over the past couple of years, but I think things are you know just in a turbulent place right now. And the way to completely calm that turbulence would be a win in Lexington. A loss only sets them ablaze. And that's kind of where the football team is at as of right now. But before we go any further, uh, let's hear from our sponsors at the Mizzou Sports Podcast. Then, for this week's On the Beat, I actually already talked to John Hale, the Louisville Courier-Journal earlier today. Long conversation, about 15 minutes, kind of breaking down this Missouri versus Kentucky matchup. Hope you enjoy it. And on the other side of the conversation with John, uh, we'll talk a little Missouri basketball. like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast. University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the Kentucky beat writer for the Louisville Courier Journal, John Hale. How are you doing, John? I'm good. How are you? Good. How are things in Lexington? Excellent so far. Uh, terrible weather over the weekend in Georgia for that game. I'm not sure it's going to be great this weekend for the next game, but right now it's beautiful. I guess we'll start there. Just tell us more about uh, where you know the Kentucky program kind of is right now. How do things kind of stand? I guess they're three and four. How do things kind of look right now? Yeah, it's a really interesting kind of spot for them this season. Uh, there was a lot of expectation going into it, but at the same time, I think most reasonable people expected them to take a little bit of a step back from last year where they won 10 games for the first time in 40 years, went to a New Year's Day bowl game, you know, had a winning record at SEC play for the first time since 1977. But you lose Benny Snell, you're all timely rusher, you lose Josh Allen, the National Defensive Player of the Year, you lose your entire starting secondary, 16 total starters. 
and it was fair to expect that they were not going to be a 10 win team this year. The differing opinions going into it was how far a step they were going to take back. The schedule was pretty easy by SEC standards. So it looked like there was still a real path there to, you know, eight or nine wins if Terry Wilson took the step forward at quarterback. Two games into the season, Terry Wilson goes down for the season for with a knee injury. Two games later, uh, the backup quarterback, Sawyer Smith, who was a grad transfer from Troy, goes down with a wrist and shoulder injury and hasn't played in the last two games. So they're playing a wide receiver at quarterback. Their number three quarterback, uh, Nick Scalzo, a freshman, also season-ending knee injury in camp. So Lynn Bowden's been kind of uh, put into that position by necessity more than anything else. It worked against Arkansas, obviously one of the worst teams in the SEC. Did not work nearly as well against Georgia, one of the better teams in the SEC. So it, it's a real interesting kind of turning point is to see whether that offense with Lynn Bowden is capable of winning games down the stretch here and what appears to be a fairly manageable five games to, to close out the regular season or if what we saw against Georgia had less to do with really bad weather and more to do with just teams being able to prepare for him. There's a chance Sawyer Smith is nearing 100% health, and we might see him Saturday. It might wait for another two weeks until after their bye week. It's just not sure at this point. Uh, but it's it's a it's a real situation where you've seen progress basically in every area except quarterback, which has become this huge glaring hole that kind of casts a shadow over the rest of the season. And it wasn't like his, uh, Mark Stoops' preparation to, uh, you know, failed in getting him there. It's just injury after injury after injury. You know, when you have a significant drop, I guess, from your one, two, three guys, I mean, most coaches don't have to go through that. It's just that's what's kind of played out, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, 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 you know, even beyond the quarterbacks they have on their roster, it becomes more interesting because Mac Jones, who's going to start for Alabama this weekend in place of Tua, was committed to Kentucky for more than a year and then flipped to Alabama when his stock kind of soared the summer before senior year and he got a bunch of high-profile offers. Jared Williams, who started, I think, the first six games for Miami before he got hurt, was committed to Kentucky for more than a year, then flipped to Miami. Uh, you know, when he saw his stock soar and got a bunch of high-profile offers, they had their number two and number three quarterbacks a year ago. Gunnar Hoke, uh, grad transferred to Ohio State to back up there. He's from the Columbus area. And Danny Clark transferred to a junior college because Terry Wilson had locked himself into the starting job with a 10-1 season. They both saw the writing on their wall and, and decided to go somewhere else where they might have a better chance of playing or for Hoke had the hometown, hometown ties there. So there are really like seven or eight quarterbacks who could have been starting for Kentucky this season before Len Bowden. Uh, it's a situation I've never seen anything like it before, uh, let alone just the terrible injury luck they had among the guys they did have on the roster this year. Then tell us a little bit more about Len Bowden. You know, what makes him the emergency choice? And, you know, it just seems like he's a playmaker on the outside. But what made him a guy who, when push comes to shove, would have to throw the ball as opposed to catching it? Yeah, so he played quarterback in high school um, at Warren Harding in the Youngstown area. He was, you know, a star there. He did a little bit of everything for them. Uh, arguably, could have been the top player in Ohio his senior year, but uh, there were some off the field questions that kind of followed him as a recruit. You know, um, he's been pretty open about it this year in terms of he was heading towards a bad path in his life and just getting involved in some things that uh, didn't didn't weren't good for him or his career or his you know future he had a son his senior year and kind of refocused on football rededicated himself to, to going the right way uh ended up coming to kentucky because vince merrill the recruiting coordinator and mark stoops are both from youngstown had a deep connection with him uh and they it was always going to be a situation where he moved to receiver in college he's just too small to be a legitimate power five you know starting quarterback every week 
so he it took him a year to kind of learn that position last year we saw him emerge a little bit but the the offense was still so run heavy both around benny snell that you know he he had big moments missouri was actually kind of his coming out party a year ago uh, but this was the year with Snell gone and the offense supposed to open the game a little more where he was going to become this like all the SEC caliber receiver. And we saw that a little bit the first few weeks. He was a little inconsistent too, dropped a couple touchdowns in one game that was worrisome. But he just has this athleticism. They were already using him as a wildcat quarterback in certain packages just to get the ball in his hands whenever possible. Uh, and when it went, when you lose your first option, lose your second option, arguably lose your third option in, in the freshman who got hurt too. He was just the guy they thought, okay, at this point, let's just put the ball in our best player's hand as much as possible. Uh, he's not a big guy. He's not a you know power runner by any means, but he's really shifty. He's really athletic. Um, he made Arkansas. I mean, he ran for 197 yards against Arkansas. Even last week against Georgia, for all the struggles there, he ran for 99 yards. So he he has the ability to make plays with his with his feet. The question is just how much he can do with his arm against Arkansas in perfect conditions without you know a lot of prep in terms of film. I think he was seven for eleven with for like a hundred or seventy-five yards and like that through a touchdown against Georgia last week, where the wind was crazy. It rained the entire game. He missed his first nine passes, did not complete a pass to the last drive of the game, and finished I think two for fifteen for fifteen yards. So that was I mean Jake Fromm only threw for thirty-five yards in that game. So the conditions definitely had something to do with it. Uh, but it's a real question as to whether his arm is enough of a threat to keep defenses honest if if they do have to stick with him there. So I guess, I, you mentioned a little earlier the, the game last year between Missouri and Kentucky. Obviously, under Barry Odom, it's been three Kentucky wins. Uh, what is it? What have you seen from those kind of games the last three years? I don't know. I, or actually, how long have you been on the beat, John? First off, I have been on the beat since 2011. So okay, so you've you, you've seen all three of those games live. Yeah. Since uh, what did you see from 16, 17, 18 Missouri, Kentucky, and what what's kind of been the difference that's made Kentucky successful in those games? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, obviously last year, uh, the way the game played out down the stretch uh, is the most obvious takeaway in terms of Kentucky just couldn't move the ball. It didn't look like they were going to score, you know, in that game. And then Lynn Bowden developed his legend there in terms of he's, he, he was not the full-time punt returner at the time. They just used him occasionally in situations where they you know were desperate for a return. And he went to Mark Stoops on the sideline and said, hey put me in here. I'm going to return this kick for a touchdown. And they said, okay. And they put him in there and he returned it for a touchdown. And that kind of sparked their comeback. Then obviously the last drive uh, drove it down the field, controversial pass interference penalty on uh, Ahmad Wagner in the end zone, which has basically been his go-to move. I mean, he's got like nine or 10 career pass interference penalties on, you know, close to 20 targets. That was, it was an even higher percentage before he became a much more active part of the passing game. Uh-huh. And then C.J. Conrad catches the touchdown, and, and Kentucky feels really, really good. And I think they got bowl eligible that game, but it, either way, it was kind of the kicking off point for the stretch drive to where they had this historic season. Overall, I think the trend of the three straight Kentucky wins is more about this you know, kind of greater storyline for Kentucky, where it sits in the SEC East. I mean, coming into this year, they'd beaten South Carolina, uh, five years in a row. They've been Vanderbilt four years in a row. They've been Missouri three years in a row. Or what? What? I may have the numbers not quite there right there, but they had long winning streaks against each of those teams, and it had kind of looked like a point where Kentucky had could say to itself, "Okay, we've ascended to that second tier in the SECs. They're not Georgia. They're not Florida." Um, they beat Tennessee two years ago, but historically they struggled to beat Tennessee. I think it's twice in thirty plus years now. 
but you could make a real strong argument that they'd passed Missouri, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt in the pecking order, even though when you look at preseason polls, they were not getting that respect. And that was a, a point of contention for these guys in this program in terms of why they weren't getting the benefit of the doubt as some of these other teams when they'd beaten those teams multiple years in a row. Uh, we've seen this year they already lost to South Carolina. That streak got snapped. Um, we'll see what happens against Vanderbilt. They're pretty bad, but we know that they're capable of beating a, a decent team like they did last week against Missouri. Uh, and this week, Kentucky's obviously a double-digit underdog, so it's it's a real, I think, kind of litmus test for if that trend stays has you know stayed true for Kentucky or if with all the losses they had from last year's team, uh, the quarterback issues that we talked about, have they taken a step back to kind of their historic spot as one of the bottom you know two or three teams in the league? There's obviously been a lot of talk about Kentucky's offense, but tell me more about this defense. You know, at their best, do you think they could have a Vanderbilt-esque performance, or they uh, where they can shut down Missouri completely? Where do they kind of stand? Yeah, it's an interesting group. Uh, that was the the side of the ball that definitely had the biggest questions going into the year. I mentioned at the beginning they lost their entire starting secondary. They actually lost their top six defensive backs because the one guy who played a significant role last year, Devontae Robinson, went down for the season with a quad injury in camp, or I think the day before camp, actually. So they, they had basically no returning experience in the secondary. They have one safety, Jordan Griffin, who's been like a, a role player for three years. He's a senior. But otherwise, they started junior college transfer at one corner spot. Uh, they've got a redshirt freshman at the other corner spot and a sophomore who had played in like three games on defense in his career before the season as their main corner rotation. Uh, there are two uh, other safeties. They've got a junior college transfer, uh, Quandre Mosley, and then they have a sophomore in, in Yusuf Corker who played a little bit as a redshirt freshman last year. So they had no experience at the second level. They felt good about their defensive line and the depth there. Uh, and then on the edges of the outside linebacker, you had to replace the national defensive player of the year in Josh Allen. So it was a real question how they were going to do there. But for as much as the offense has kind of struggled after Terry Wilson went down, the defense has made pretty steady progress throughout the season and it's, has basically answered most of the questions that people had, I think, going into the year. Um, Brad White, the, he's the first-year defensive coordinator, has gets a lot of credit for developing a scheme, especially early in the season, that kind of disguised some of their inexperience in the secondary. They haven't given up 30 points in a game yet. Their best showing all season was last week against Georgia. Um, the, obviously, that game was scoreless at halftime. Two of Georgia's three touchdowns came on short fields where they got the ball inside Kentucky's 40-yard line. Uh, they they looked really good last week, and and you know the conditions had a lot to do with that too. But that that's a group that's trending definitely in the right direction. They have a lot of young players there. They have a a decent amount of talent, and as those guys get more experienced, we've seen better results um, as far as what they could do this week against Missouri. If it's raining and ugly again, I, I think absolutely it could be a performance like Vanderbilt did. Um, if it's you know perfect weather conditions, obviously guys like Kelly Bryant are going to give them some issues. They've been prone to slow starts at times. Uh, even two weeks ago in Arkansas, they gave up a 74-yard touchdown run on the second play of the game. Uh, they've been a kind of bend-don't-break defense for most of the year. Uh, stood up and forced field goals in the red zone or got a turnover. No, that's kind of slowed down recently. Uh, it's kind of hit or miss as to what to expect from them each, each week, but they've, they've been trending the right direction. So my gut is they have a pretty good performance this weekend. Uh, the, the, I think the spread currently is at ten and a half. Maybe Missouri being favored. Do you think that's fair? And then, if so, does Kentucky cover? And what's your final score prediction? Yeah, it's interesting. I am. 
uh, obviously you're way more familiar with Missouri than I am. So I, I don't have a great feel for what the mental psyche of that team is in terms of the bowl ban and losing to Vanderbilt last week. And they uh, were, they they were strong were yeah. the keyword. I mean, <laughs> uh, they looked confident still in practice on Tuesday, but, uh, I guess the proof is more so going to come out Saturday and for both of us live. Right, exactly. And, and why they appear to be you know a different team on the road than they've been at home yeah. or for whatever reason. Uh, if none of those things were a consideration, I think 10 and a half is probably right, given Kentucky's quarterback struggles. You know, the huge question mark as to what they're going to do there is Lynn Bowden capable of running an offense that could score, you know, in the upper 20s to 30s uh, i don't know if that's true if sawyer smith is healthy again is he good enough to, is he a good quarterback or is he uh, the guy that we saw for two weeks when he was playing through injuries and was ranked by i think pro football focus is the worst starting quarterback in the fbs right now uh, so that there are so many questions about whether kentucky can score that feels right to me uh, but i do have some you know legitimate concerns about what missouri is going to be like this weekend and, and the weather if it's raining and ugly which they think it might be uh, could be a you know x factor either way my guess is is kentucky's covers just because of some of those questions i think i'm going to pick missouri to win just because I, I can't pick kentucky to win or to score enough points at the moment but i, I think it will probably be a you know single digit game something like uh 27 21 something like that that sounds about right for this rivalry. I think it was six two years ago, forty to thirty four, and then last year was what fifteen twelve, right? Yeah, something nuts like that. Um, for those Missouri fans who are traveling to Lexington, uh, where, where where are the spots they got to check out for food and anything like that? Oh well, there's a lot. Um, it's obviously Keeneland. I think it's still in in racing. The fall meet hasn't ended yet. Um, check that for me to make sure that that's true but that's obviously the number one attraction in the fall for anybody who comes to lexington but in, in terms of food there's a lot of uh, a lot of good options downtown uh maybe kind of an under the radar cheap eats place it's my go-to in lexington is uh it's a place called bourbon and toulouse on euclid just north of campus it's a cajun place which i know you don't think cajun food in lexington kentucky but you can eat there for under ten dollars easily it's, it's basically my favorite meal in lexington so so maybe to check that one out I might have to take your recommendation on that. Uh, New Orleans is one of my favorite cities to visit, very much so. Uh, you know, and I guess uh, here's a good time to uh, kind of plug everything. You know, uh, where do they can can they read your work? Where can they find you online? Everything like that. Yeah, I'm at John Hale J O N H A L E underscore C J on Twitter, and it's courier journalcom for all the work. Um, we've got a bunch of. I mean, it's obviously nearing basketball season, which is a big deal in, in Lexington always. So, uh, you may have to sift through some basketball stuff to find the football uh, stories, but they're there. I promise. And uh, <laughs> on the UK page, you can find all, all that. Both of them leading up to the game tomorrow. I know it's a long time away, uh, but Missouri men's basketball uh, conference opener, I think it's Kentucky's conference opener, is in Lexington as well, January 4th for both teams. Am I right about that? Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah, so John's voice is probably one you'll be hearing again. Maybe we might preview that conference opener, have him on again uh, right at the turn of the new year. But one last question for you before I go. Uh, you're now co-workers with my former co-worker, Cameron Teague Robinson, former host of this podcast you're currently on. Uh, what, what, what are your uh, spiciest hot takes or uh, thoughts on Cam? Just, uh, just, just to throw that out there at the end of this interview. Well, for for the nice part of it, I mean, he's been a great addition to the staff. I mean, he's doing a killer job with our local coverage and profiling Scott Satterfield's first year there. He's done a bunch of really good work. Uh, if we're talking spicy hot takes, though, I need you to give me 
a better inclination of what I'm supposed to call him. I can't get him to nail down whether I'm supposed to call him Cameron Teague or Cameron Robinson or Cameron Teague Robinson. <laughs> he won't ever commit to one or the other, uh, but it's it, it's been good all around. He's been a great addition to the staff. He's a, he's a great guy. Um, we haven't gotten to work directly uh, with each other a lot because I'm based in Lexington. Right. He's obviously in Louisville, but that big rivalry game's coming up at the end of November. We're already covered, uh, you know, planning out our, our team a tag team effort for that stuff leading up to it. So going to be working a lot more with him in the next month for sure. Well, I, I always just called him Cam, so I didn't go into the last names. But, and I use the word spicy on purpose because he hates spicy food. Uh, must must view video for anybody to look up the uh, hot wing challenge they did back in 2018 live on the podcast. Some, some of the best content you'll ever see on a podcast. But uh, with that said, thanks again, John, for uh, joining us here on the podcast. And, and I'll see you on Saturday. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. sponsors of the Mizzou Sports Podcast and John Hale. Hope you guys enjoyed me asking kind of the last question there about Cam. Former co-worker of mine and Kevin's, current co-worker of John's. Uh, so kind of nice to bridge those uh, the bridges there in the world of journalism. But in Cam's honor, let's talk a little basketball as he covered it for us the last two years. Uh, we had availability with Conzo a little earlier today. Uh, kind of just talking about the big news of the day, which was the border war. Uh, returning. The border war is back. Border war is back. Uh, Missouri versus Kansas on the hardwood starting in twenty uh, in December of 2020 through December of 2025. Six contracted matchups, one in each of those seasons, 2020, 2021, 22, 23, 24, 25. Uh, uh, two on, college camp- on each college campus, and then two at the, the bookends being in the Sprint Center in Kansas. Uh, and then, you know... In Kansas City. In Kansas City, I Kansas? Yeah. Um, Kansas just, City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri. There is a Kansas City, Kansas, where Oklahoma Joe's is. Uh, best barbecue I've probably ever had without having Q39. Anyway, um, just... I, I were you here for the border war last time, Kevin? I know you're a seven. Are you a sixteen grad? So that means Dude. that you would have started college in in the fall of twelve when Missouri first yeah, moved so to SEC. Two thousand seventeen was the the exhibition right showdown game. But the, the last time uh, that Missouri and Kansas played a game that mattered was Missouri's uh, as last far as results wise yeah. uh, would have been two thousand twelve. That's correct. And uh, that would have been right before. Uh, my time in college began. So it's, it's uh, honestly, it's going back to uh, when I was a kid growing up in Missouri. It's, this is a game that you'd have circled on your calendar, uh, not even a week out, a month out, but all year. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the move to the SEC, um, you know, that, that kind of went away. And there was just kind of this, this I think, natural curiosity of, is it, you know, it's, it's, is it, is it going to be gone forever? But now it's back. And, and really, I think it's a, it's a credit to both the athletic directors I think it's a credit to Jim Sterk, to Jeff Long, kind of coming together um, and and making this happen, making this a reality once again. Yeah, and the rivalry itself, from my perspective, was never dead. I mean, one of the few things I knew about Missouri before coming to and living and then writing about the University of Missouri Athletics was this game. It just, just uh, I had, I forget the guy's name in my head, but I can see the visual very clearly at the Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence. I'm watching the game, and it was that dunk where there was they called it a charge, and it wasn't a charge. It was clearly a, a blocking foul. I forget the na- the guy who did it. it. Wasn't Marcus Denman, but it was probably a little bit further out than that. But just those moments are instantaneous with Missouri basketball, and you know, just to, just to see. I mean, Conzo get a chance at this game. I mean, Conzo got his first win over Brad Underwood at Illinois last year as a head coach, and uh, to see him now get that chance against Kansas is something that, I mean, 
when you look, when you diagnose the big moments for Mizzou coaches, one of the things that basketball you definitely did was look at the win loss record against Kansas. And I think we looked it up. It was took a lot of time to research it. But Bill Self, I think, as a head coach of Kentucky, is fifteen and four against Missouri. That's 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 pretty good. That is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, Missouri's last game in the SEC though was a Missouri win. So the fact that it's returning is I, it's that's there are some rivalries across the country that are synonymous. I mean, that's just covered like Texas Oklahoma football, Duke Carolina basketball. Uh, I mean, trying to. I mean, Alabama, LSU, Alabama, Auburn football, and then this. You know, this is, and I'm saying this from a pretty unbiased perspective because I only joined this beat, you know, a little, like five months ago. That's it's really one of the premier games in college athletics. It, it really is Missouri, Kansas. Uh, and you, I think you think basketball before you think football because Kansas football hasn't had the greatest tradition, for lack of a better word, of uh, you know just winning results. They were really good for a couple years right before Charlie Weiss took over and they did a nose dive, but you know, uh they just this is a game that people really look forward to, I guess is what they're saying. So 2020 and 2025 at the Sprint Center, I believe 21 and 23 are in Lawrence, 22 and 24 are in Columbia. Columbia. Really a win for the fans, I think here. Uh yeah. the appetite certainly is there. Uh I mean, I, I think this is a rivalry where to to your point uh, never really was dead. Uh, oh, there were definitely embers burning. I remember going downtown one night in Columbia earlier this year. It was after week two of the college football season, and on the window, instead of saying "open" or the, or the, or the specials would have been for the menu, it said "college football result: Coastal Carolina twelve, Kansas 7. It's one that's, of those fun. It's one of those fun rivalries where yeah. I, I think each fan base is rooting just as much for the other team to lose mm-hmm. than for their own to win. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's another thing that Chris, Tristan Colon Castillo said is uh, he was asked about the rivalry returning, and he uh, brought up an old chant, not M I Z, and usually you hear Z O U at the end. Uh, there's another version of it that parents are going to have to teach kids that uh, it rhymes with uh, it rhymes with. Oh, we're not going to a, 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 a sound a Jayhawk might make. In any sense, yes, the border wars are turning. Uh, Missouri men's basketball is now under two weeks away. I think actually two weeks from from yesterday is their first game against Incarnate Word. And yeah, that's kind of all that's new in the world of Mizzou, I guess. Uh, anything anything to add, Kevin? You, you know what? I, I, I think that, uh, that probably gets us to a good point for today, but it's kind of uh, it's a good time of year. you got football still going. you got yeah. uh, men's basketball, women's basketball, which we'll talk more about women's basketball going for sure. forward. Yeah, next week uh, will be a good week for that. Uh, we, we got basketball season right around the corner. Uh, so lots going on, um, and we'll just see how it all unfolds. Yeah, yeah volleyball's kind of uh, hitting, hitting their stride here, mid-ECC mid conference. Uh Soccer's kind of being turbulent. I think they're right around 500 like they usually are. Probably still in position to make the SEC tournament. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of where we're at. I mean, uh, wrestling is expected to be ranked kind of high again, despite uh, Jaden Ironman taking the year off to train for the Olympics. And, uh, you know, Daniel Lewis is no longer with the team, did a graduation and all that stuff. But they have a couple good young kids coming in. But uh, yeah, I think we'll end it there. Uh, check out our updates. Uh, I'll be driving to Lexington tomorrow morning, uh, going to the game live uh, in Kentucky. Yeah, why don't you give us a preview of the uh, section for Saturday and then take us out, Kevin. Yeah, section for Saturday. We'll have our, our game day preview. Uh, Eric is going to uh, have the centerpiece feature on on Columbia Native and Rockbridge grad Martez Manuel, uh, who will be playing uh, quite a bit in the first half, getting his first career start uh, in kind of a... A, a, a unique 
situation there. Tyree Gillespie was ejected for Stone Cold targeting Barry, put Martez in. There you go. There you have it. Uh, so that'll be the centerpiece we'll have uh, on the beat. Uh, just basically a, a more in-depth transcription of, of, the, of the interview that we had on this podcast with our special guest. And uh, staff picks, key matchups, five questions facing the Tigers, all of that, uh, which uh, we, we have for every game day of the season. Uh, and then, of course, we'll have, uh, have coverage of the game on, online and, uh, and then in print. All right. Uh, if you made it this far, thank you so much for listening to this Mizzou Sports Podcast. We'll be back next week. Kevin, give us the outro. For the Mizzou Sports Podcast, until next time. 